when they found fiber optics, or they started to develop fiber optics, it was well known on the occult side that that was uh, retrieved from some of the UFO crashes, either Roswell or, or some of the ones before and after. And so the back engineering took place at a lot of different companies. And it took place long before I was at JPL, because it, when I was there, they were experimenting, trying to find more methods of communication. They had to keep it secret and, and show that we developed it here on the planet and not have it something that was brought into us, which turns out to be a lot of things we have. And Tesla was involved in a lot of that early stuff as well. With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have one of my favorite people coming to the show, Phil Connellino. He's brilliant. He has five science degrees. He's just very broad in his understanding of science. And he also is really interested in, in subjects that the mainstream universities, mainstream medical science, they're not interested in. And so he uses his really broad knowledge of science to investigate all these different issues. But he worked at JPL for a few decades, and that is part of Caltech, and it's the only contractor for NASA that's not part of the government. And so it allowed them to do all these different things. And so he's going to talk about his time there, and then we're going to talk about more broad what he knows with, with things outside of JPL. But people don't know what JPL is, so he's going to talk about that. And then we are going to dive into all sorts of cool topics. And I, I think you will appreciate with everything that's going on, the nonsense, the just complete absurdity going on in the world, I figured let's do a show that is more uplifting and light and show people what it is that we can be talking about and we can start to get to. We are going to be breaking down these walls. We have a glorious future if we can keep censorship and keep the light on and they don't put these walls of, of darkness on us and we keep this light on because there's so much amazing things out there for us to learn our history that you know how it's really different than what we know uh what we really are starting to know with science and technology uh, what about ets and other dimensions and spirits and all these things what's going on we have the ability to communicate and to research it and flush it out and learn about it that's our future, and it's really exciting, too. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, because I, I love talking to Phil. I'm going to have Max, his partner. Um, he's going to be coming back. We're going to... We, we, they're my favorite scientists. I have them on, and we talk about cool things. And they're also cell C60. So at the very end, this is a long interview, we'll talk about a little bit about carbon 60 and how great it is for your body and and how amazing everybody should be on C60 because of how it helps. It's the world's best anti-inflammation. And it, 
so many diseases, almost every disease is caused by inflammation. So if you can deal with inflammation, you can deal with so many diseases. The other part of diseases, it's dealed with aging and our shortening of our telomeres. So there's a lot of research going on with how C60 can aid in keeping our telomeres long. Also, if people haven't seen my interview with Dr. Bill Andrews, one of the leading scientists in the world on t- lengthening your telomeres, I got to tell you, I had a lot of different people contact me about longevity and I'm starting to form the theory based on everything that I'm hearing people, a lot of people that are few people that came forward and talked to me want to remain anonymous. I can't even talk about what they told me being honest. They don't want me to share it with people, but they want to let me know it, which is kind of hard. I, I hate that part, but I can talk about it in general. And I've I'm starting to form the theory that this, all this depopulation, all of it, is based on the fact that they want to get rid of people so they can live longer because the longevity science that's out there is back to what it said in the Bible that you know people used to live a lot longer and this uh, science that is coming forward and actually there's evidence that it already exists in some circles will allow people to live a lot longer, more based on what the historical, we think maybe people live this long. And that's all coming out too. And that's what we got to learn about. But part of that is they don't want, they want it to come confined to just certain types of people. And they want to depopulate as many of the other people as possible so they can have dominion over the earth. That's a theory I'm running with right now in my own head as I'm collecting information. I don't know if it's it's a theory. Theories need to be proven. And so I'm throwing that out there. So last thing before we get into this interview, I want to tell you that his video wasn't working that great. His sound was perfect and it never skipped or anything, but his video, he has a bad internet connection. And so we weren't getting as great of videos during this interview, but the sound is great. So we're all set there so people understand what's going on. Okay, let's get into the super long with my friend, the scientist, Phil. Hi, Phil. Welcome back to the program. Well, hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Well, I've been wanting to do this interview. Yeah, well, you're one of my favorite scientists. I have to have you back. I've been wanting to do this interview for a long time, and I'm, you know, because we always have Max and you on, which I love Max. And you guys are my favorite scientists and we sit and talk about stuff, but you have a really interesting story on your own that I really wanted to talk to you about. And that is your time at JPL. You have five science degrees for crying out loud. You are a the scientist and um, which I love, but you also worked at JPL and people don't know what JPL is. It's a branch of NASA, right? Can you talk about what JPL is? And then we can yes. dive into all sorts of cool things. NASA, uh, JPL is the Jet Propulsion Laboratory of the California Institute of Technology. So Caltech owns JPL as a lab. And um, I have a contract with NASA and operates uh, JPL as a contractor and it's the only NASA agency that doesn't belong to the government. So it has kind of the best of both worlds. It's a contractor and um, it has uh, its own flexibility with the contract. And so when something comes up and 
NASA wants to get something done either quickly and doesn't have to go through the bureaucracy of its other agencies. Um, it contacts JPL and says, do this and so forth. And so uh, I guess it was started. Here's, here's an early part of this that's kind of important and it's well-documented. And that is JPL was founded in the late forties, early fifties by a scientist or three scientists. Uh, one of which was the famous Jack Parsons. And uh, the other one is Molina. Um, and I don't remember the third one's name. They were not as uh, active in you know, the history books, if you will. But uh, Jack Parsons, and the lab is often called Jack Parsons Lab. Jack Parsons was a, an occult uh, scientist and um, an occult researcher. He was a cohort of uh, Alistair Crowley. And Jack Parsons was the uh, head of the OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis, and Golden Dawn in Los Angeles. And that's something JPL does not talk a lot about. Well, I'm sure they won't um, want his, people to know that. Yeah, they because it well, really it, tarnishes it, their well, image. It's well documented, it's well right? Documented. But they sure don't want, yeah. It's well documented in a lot of books, a lot of stories. Uh, Peter Moon, when he was writing his series on the Montauk Project, he brought out a lot of that uh, because um, I contacted Peter. And we started talking and one thing led to another. When I told him I worked for JPL, he asked me to send him as much information as I had, which was kind of like a, a large folder full, maybe a six, eight inch folder full of information about Jack Parsons, because I've been a student of ancient wisdom knowledge of, since I was a teenager. And I gathered a lot of information from a lot of sources and JPL was obviously on that list. When I started working there, I researched a lot more about Jack Parsons because I had access to the archives and the libraries and such. And I gathered that information and sent it to uh, Peter Moon. And he put it in his second book and gave me credit for it. Um, he didn't mention my name for my request because I was still working there. So he references me as a member of the technical staff MTS, um, who doesn't want to be mentioned because I'm still employed. Anyway, there's a lot of information about Jack Parsons um, putting a lot of things together as a rocket scientist and, you know, formed the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And uh, to stay on that story for a little bit, one of Jack Parsons' projects was the Babylon Workings. And it was a ritual that uh, he performed with a number of other people and some of his best friends were L. Ron Hubbard and Robert Hyland and the three of them along with several others put this project to get a ritual together called the Babylon Working and it's well documented well studied and researched and published but um, it opened up a portal in the early 1950s that supposedly allowed uh, UFOs to come in to this planet. And that's well documented as well. Again, well documented the that they, they that's what they were doing. 
or well documented yes. that UFOs came in there through the portal? Or what did what do you mean by well documented? The ritual opened a portal the way it's documented and UFOs came in in the early 50s. And that started off with a whole lot of other UFO sightings, including the one in Washington, D.C., and the stories about the Battle of L.A. and so many other stories that are related. They were pretty much suppressed and hidden in, you know, small books, occult books that weren't very popular, but the stories are still being uh, discussed online. Okay, can you, let's Lots. talk a little bit about this portal thing. Um, you have five science degrees and everything else. So is this was the portal from a scientific perspective, did it make sense? Or was it uh, all frequency? Or was it intent of, you know, praying and intent? Or what is it that they were doing to open up a portal? Uh, the, the ritual was an occult ritual, Golden Dawn. And I don't know the details, or I don't remember actually the details. I've read about it many years ago, and it's well documented, like I said. And you can look it up. Anyone can look it up. Babylon working. And um, the whole story is written in there. Now, as far as opening the portal and allowing the UFOs to come in, there's not much research documented on that because it's one of those occult stories. If there is any information, it's either classified or buried somewhere. Or maybe so, they maybe, maybe they communicated to the UFOs and said, please come. I mean, maybe that's what that ended up doing, which they opened up a portal or I mean, I don't know. Yes, it, it was. An, uh, it, it maybe was it wasn't quite there. Yeah, it was them communicating the, the to the UFOs. Hey, please come. And then they may have opened up a portal and came. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking how, because I mean, I'm just trying to understand it. It seems like it's, yeah, go ahead. Difficult to understand. Yes. Um, Like I said, you'd have to research those details to find out the whole story and see how it comes together. But Which you can't get all the details, right? That opened up the portal. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you can't get all so the, the details because if there is any details and specifically how they did it and what from a science standpoint or from what's actually going on, those aren't available. Well, this ritual that J- that uh, Jack Parsons did was not part of JPL. Okay? This okay. was his occult stuff that he did with Golden Dawn and OTO. And so that's, you know, kind of like his other life. Okay. So his life at JPL was strictly involved in in rocket science. So I don't think JPL has any archives on that. Although Jack Parson himself can be researched and find a lot of things about his life. So that's where that went. Well, that's really interesting. Regardless, that's super interesting. Go ahead. It was just another side story about Jack Parsons and JPL. But JPL has been involved in a lot of research and development and uh, all kinds from every area of science, Caltech and JPL would form uh, projects and groups of scientists that would do whatever needed to be done and solve problems. Um, One of the uh, things that I was involved in, I was a quality assurance uh, engineer and manager 
And I was uh, trained and have experience with problem and failure analysis uh, projects. So I worked on a lot of problem failure reviews and such. And that was, uh, that was quite interesting because um, I got involved to use many of my science areas in material science and investigating of problems. Uh, I can tell you a couple of stories that were interesting. One of which was um, there was this, they were designing, somebody designed a, a, a flywheel with, with Kevlar and resin. And this whole flywheel was heavy and it would spin and go up to a high RPM and produce electricity from this spinning. Well, during the initial set assembly of it, the details didn't show what happened in the drawings of what to do and how to do it exactly. So when they first set it up and spun it up, it failed. Well, they called for a failure investigation board. And so I, um, I participated in that as the quality engineer. And one of the things I found when I first saw this thing, it was a mess because the Kevlar and the resin had exploded and the whole thing was just froze. So we opened it up and I found little tiny pieces of metal everywhere and it had shattered the resin and Kevlar. And from there, we just, I found out, I talked to the people who assembled it and designed it and all those things. And the bottom line was they put a, a bearing in upside down or backwards. It was tapered, but not very much. So when they assembled it and put the tapered um, bearing in there and it's closed it up, spun it up and it froze and exploded. It was contained. And so I found that one out and of course wrote it all up and, and That's designed simple, right? uh, all the That was a simple pieces. solution yeah. at that point. Yeah. Did they rerun it then? Oh yeah. They, they, we were just involved or I was just involved in the failure review and, you know, looking into the problem failure results. So, so that, uh, that was one of the things. No, well, did, but wait, 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 what, when they reran it, what did it do? Oh, it was just, it was a, uh, an energy um, uh, flywheel that would spin and produce electricity. And it was supposed to go in a car. So when it spun up during the engine running it, and then it would release the energy and run the car. So it was just one of the early experiments on alternative energies. Okay. Okay. So so Funny. they've been doing so they've been doing alternative energy experiments for a while. Oh, and yes. they have some pretty good stuff that could work. But keep going. Yeah. Again, it was R and D stuff, so it was not going into manufacturing and sure. you know that kind. Another one that I had uh, had good time with was um, a solar system that was designed and put out in in barstow in the uh, mojave desert and it would gather sunlight and the sunlight would be focused on these ceramic tubes inside this big chamber and it was huge it was maybe like 25 30 feet in diameter and maybe about 40 feet high 
and the chamber had banks of ceramic tubes. Now, when they designed this whole design, the solar system, they when they were in a hurry, I guess, and they had several different manufacturers make the ceramic tubes. The ceramic tubes had a bevel on the bottom and they would fit into a manifold. And then when the heat was all gathered up and it would produce energy that would turn various turbines. Anyway, since they had different manufacturers making the ceramic tubes, they all beveled them differently and they didn't oh. have any specs on it. And so when they when they put it all together and the ceramic tubes into the manifold, everything vibrated because nothing fit tight like um, like it would been. It was, uh, you know, how uh, an engine, a car engine has the valves that were that were intake and, and intake and output valves. They would be yep, they would be formed in very tight so they don't leak. Well, if you don't bevel the, the ceramic tubes properly, they exploded or some of them exploded and shattered everything in the chamber. And of course, at that point, they shut down everything and called for a failure review board. And I'm the one who just found that the various tubes were all um, tapered or rather beveled differently. And that was one of the failure uh, reviews. So the, the solutions so we, were pretty basic that you found, and but the actual experiment was pretty interesting. What was that experiment? Yeah, we, what was it trying to do, and why was it in such a hurry? Uh, they were. It was one of those early solar system designs. They were trying to find many different areas. I, I'm not even. I don't even remember. I think it was someone up in Washington. Uh, the state of Washington that had this whole system. We were just called in to do the failure analysis. Well, yeah, but that's really interesting. So one of the things that you thought and you said to me, which is kind of mind blowing, is that you believe that some of the technologies that you guys were working on there were reverse engineering uh, technology, not from this world that we humanity did not create. Yeah. One of my favorite was uh, fiber optics. There was a lab in JPL that was doing R&D from various sources, uh, industry and government. When they found fiber optics or they started to develop fiber optics, it was well known on the occult side that that was uh, retrieved from some of the UFO crashes, either Roswell or or some of the ones before and after. And so the back engineering took place at a lot of different companies. And it took place long before I was at JPL, because when I was there, they were experimenting, trying to find more methods of communication. And I was involved in the hardware part of it. So the fiber itself and the cladding and so forth. So I worked with uh, George, one of the lab scientists, and George um, had a number of different projects that he was using and developing fiber optics to be used in spacecraft, because obviously that would be lighter than some of the metal and cabling that we're using. 
and and all the uh, circuitry and so forth, fiber optics became pretty interesting to research. And so that's how I started. In fact, I think my boss gave me an article from uh, Popular Mechanics and had fiber optic story in it. And Popular Mechanics was, you know, it's a worldwide magazine, especially back then in the late 70s, early 80s. And so I read the article and I said, wow, this is fascinating. And he says, go talk to George up in whatever building it was. And because uh, he's involved in R&D with fiber optics. So I befriended with George and I learned all about what he was doing and how it was working. And then I had uh, I told my boss I could find out more from various manufacturers all over the country that were working on fiber optic projects. Still a lot of it R&D because it was still an early technology. Well, I and, visited you know, like 15 different companies. Wow. Well, you know, in, in fiber optics, you know, it's zero ones. I, that's my background. I'm a computer scientist engineer. And so, you know, you look back on it and you go, well, it's kind of simple. It, it's just light pulses, right? Zero ones that can be extrapolated up into everything we see on the computer. And, but some of the most simple technologies we didn't come up with, it totally changed everything, fiber optics, because suddenly now we're working at the speed of light instead of, you know, uh, the electrical units and copper and yeah. yeah. Photons instead of electrons. Yes. Yeah. It became a whole nother so I visited deal. Like Go ahead. 15, I visited like 15 different companies to survey them to see how they would qualify or help, help them qualify to do work for JPL. And so we could, we survey them and we, and we rate them and give them uh, whatever their qualities are. And we put them in our files for future references if you wanted to buy various things. So I visited every company that was doing anything in fiber optics. One of the best was Corning. Corning was one of the in, initial work done on cabling and fiber optics was with Corning. And so I made an appointment to visit Corning. And when they, this is a side story, uh, when they saw that I was coming from JPL, they contacted one of their older scientists, he was in his 80s, who initially worked with JPL to form a ceramic uh, experiment so that they could build, this is in the 50s and maybe early 60s, they build a shield so that when spacecraft and satellites and rockets go out into outer space, the shield that they designed would be able to handle the heat going out of the atmosphere and the cold of the deep space. And so it had to be something that would survive in both. And they built this ceramic shield to put on spacecraft to shield all the electronics inside of it. And it was great. It worked wonderful. And JPL gave the, gave the technology to Corning and they created uh, Corningware. Goes from the oven to the freezer oh, or freezer yeah. to the oven. Yeah. So much of the stuff that and so, came, and so, the so science, many of these inventions came out of NASA, that whole space program. That's why they, yeah. it was a big yes. boom. Go ahead. Yeah. And so the scientists who worked in the 50s and 60s with JPL, retired 80 year old scientists, came and met with me. And a small group of us spent two days together touring all of uh, Corning and their fiber optic technology. Corning 
partnered up with Siemens to because Siemens was involved in cables and Corning was involved in the fiber and they formed a company called Secor and that is the company that you see with all the bright orange cables along the side of the road when they're burying them. You've probably seen all over the country, they were installing fiber optic cables and they were bright orange and bright blue. And those were the C-Core cables, a combination you, of Corning and Siemens. Did you start getting into any of the frequency work? Did they start getting, cause that is, you know, that's Tesla that's starting to understand frequency and because that's the whole future of what we're that's kind of the next whole that's quantum uh energy that's uh frequency you know all of medicine we know that we, every mineral and element on the that exists it has a frequency and we can extrapolate up to do amazing things it'll uh, it'll take over every, especially the health industry every, it'll take over everything Have, did you start to see any of that Yes, there was a lot of technologies that we transferred into industry. Industry would have a problem, we would help solve them. And so there was a lot of interface with cabling, fiber. And one of the things that I did with some of those companies that I visited, I learned how splicing ha occurred between the core and the fiber cladding. And so I worked with several different companies and at JPL, I developed the splicing um, technology and schools and training programs for splicing. So I documented all of that, wrote up all the training manuals and all the fiber optic uh, splicing. And I was part of a committee that met at... Um, in uh, in Ohio at uh, the Air Force Base, or yeah, I think it was the Air Force Base there, one of the side projects. And I was on a committee there and I gave a presentation to the uh, International Association for Fiber Optics. And it was, uh, it was all about the technology that JPL was furthering with uh, the splicing and cabling and how to make connectors and connectorizing everything. And so I, I worked in set up projects on that and uh, established a lot of the fiber optic, early fiber optic work at JPL. I, that was a fun time. It was just a new technology introducing. Well, yeah, because fiber optics took all of this. It, it took all of, it took everything to the next level. But uh, what did you start seeing with the frequency that is in the ether, you know, the, the quantum, when, what was the budding work with that? And did we get that from an off yeah, planet? Great laser, source, early laser work with photons and fiber optics was back engineered into our technology and our use, but it was so diverse. There were so many companies involved in it. Okay. I didn't get into all of them. I worked on a lot of different projects. Yes. Fiber optics was a big one, but I worked on a lot of them. Now, did they know, did they, did the companies know that they were getting, I mean, how did they compartmentalize it so that people didn't suspect it was from off-world oh, technology? How, how did they present it? Oh, they compartmentalized it everything, classified it. Yeah. How did they? Yeah. They had to keep it, they had to keep it secret and, and show that we developed it here on the planet and not have it something that was brought into us, which turns out to be a lot of things we have. And Tesla was involved in a lot of that early stuff as well. So he, he, uh, <laughs> he back engineered, he worked with back engineered technology. 
Frequency and vibrational energy was one of his favorite aspects. He talks about it all the time. So, uh, so Tesla, you're saying Tesla didn't because well, Tesla talks about being downloaded information, but you're saying he actually reverse engineered yeah, things it, too. He got access he, to there's quotes. I didn't know that. There's Interesting. quotes that that show up that Tesla talks about the downloads and the information that was given to him. He may not have met with anyone in person, any of the ETs in person, but he got the information and they stimulated what he could do and had helped him do it. And uh, I guess uh, Trump's uncle worked uh, was a scientist at MIT. That's right. And gathered up all the information. MIT. That's a known story also. Um, let me back up a bit. Yeah, I, I had Daniel List on my show, Dark Journalist, and we talked about it many years ago at the beginning of the Trump yeah. presidency that his uncle, who he was very close to, was um, actually in charge of the Tesla files. It kind of made people angry at the time. I don't know if they were paid trolls yeah. or what, but that's fact. It is what mm -hmm. it is, and it makes the whole Trump connection even more mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, a lot of things are hidden. A lot of things are compartmentalized. They don't want anybody talking among themselves and sharing information. So it's compartmentalized. Um, I had a top secret SCI, which is secured compartmentalized information for, uh, I had a top secret clearance at JPL for 12 years and the last nine above top secret. That's the SCI part. So when I, Going back to some stories in my early days at JPL, because um, I was fascinated with all the things that they were involved in. When I first started working there, I went into every building. I walked on every floor looking and observing and talking with people. Just during my lunch hour, I spent like months in those early days trying to see everything I could. A couple of interesting stories. One of them, I went down a corridor in one of the hallways, came across a showcase, and there was a ball, steel ball, suspended in a device that just floated. It was like anti-gravity. Turns out, talking about frequency and vibration, I talked to, the, I went inside the office and talked to the scientists that were there and who put the display case together, and it was sound energy that was they were using to suspend the ball in the middle. And they made a nice little display, and put it in the display case in the hallway. And it was just sitting there running, operating all the time. And I was fascinated with that. Another story. Well, isn't that theoretically what, hold on a second, that's a big deal. Theoretically, that's what they think probably moved those big, huge boulders and big things happening with the pyramids back in the day, because nobody believes they actually used pulleys because they were so massive. Yes. The, theory, the theory is that they use sound yes. to move this because we just don't, and we don't have that technology open well, today. Keep going. Like I this said, is very it, it was displayed at JPL in the late 80, late 70s and early 80s. So, so I knew I it. saw it. We have, yeah, we have it, but it's not it's not available to the no, average no. person, it, shall well, I say. Although Go ahead. there are classified programs that do use it because, and even one of the stories about construction of the big pyramids and monolithic buildings and construction sites in South America and Africa and Egypt, obviously, they would, one of the stories that I remember is they took a bat, 
of some type of device and they would whack the stone and it would vibrate to the point where it was uh, either be suspended in gravity or it would hold and move. And so when it vibrated, this 25,000 ton block would be able to be moved easily. They'd whack it, move it, whack it and move it. So that vibrational energy, that technology was starting to be explored because they moved those big monolithic blocks somehow. And there had to be technology that was available in this on this planet. And so that led to experiments with sound energy. And I, you know, just lots of experiments. Yeah, well, they have monoliths that are the size of a football field that was quarried from 100 miles away. So you can't, yeah. <laughs> the way that they describe what ancient Egypt yeah. was is not possible yeah. unless they were much more advanced. Yep, they had to suspend gravity in order to move them somehow. And that vibrational energy is one of the primary uh, theories on how it was moved. And the methods included, like I said, yeah, hitting yeah, them with a bat sense. and changing their vibrational energy and, and defying gravity. So, yeah. And I know there's a lot of experiments going on that just don't go anywhere. It kind of like failed, didn't work, go on to something else. Well, or they work or they think it's too disruptive to their cash flow or you know, they want to control things and it'll take away from the big money makers and the control that they have. And so they don't release it. Yep. They always evaluate something against how much it costs and what's the ben cost benefit factors in there and uh, things that can't make them money. They put aside to them. To to them, yeah. not 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 to the human and you know what it would how it would benefit society. It's to their cash flow and their yeah. position. But keep going. I had to throw that in because yeah. there are some pretty cool things that would really help us that wasn't that has not been released that you know that could really benefit humanity. But keep going. JPL is unique in that they can do all the research and development on all of this stuff and not have to be concerned with money. So they're not driven by money. They're driven by the technology and the science. And that's what's fascinating when you Which work with cool. people who can care less yeah. about profit and all the other motives that go with money. These guys were serious scientists and they would that's work right. on things. And it was a pleasure working with them. One of the hallways I walked down so what did you, what else did you see? Yeah. <laughs> keep telling us your stories. I know there's some other stories there that you, yeah. One of the hallways I walked down, uh, it was a corridor and it had pictures on the wall of some of the early days of JPL and some of their history. And with the hallway was maybe 30, 40 feet long. I got to a picture where it had a antenna that was being constructed in Africa. And Africa was one of the, well, it was the fourth location on the planet where they were building antennas because as the earth turns, it had um, tracking antennas for the deep space craft outside. And so we had one in Goldstone in California. We had one in Australia and one in, in Spain. Now, those are the three primary ones that are used now. The one in Africa was under construction. 
So there was this picture on the wall of it in process of its assembly. There was girders around and beams all over. And they had hired the local tribal people to help assemble it. And the tribe that they used or they had in that area were a tribe of natives that this is in anthropology stories and books and pictures. This is a tribe that had a long, maybe a foot long uh, wooden tube uh, on their penis. And it was, a you can find those stories. I got to find a picture pictures. of it. Yeah, those I got to find a picture so people can see what visualize that that weirdness it's, but yeah it's, keep going. it's a fam <laughs> it's a famous anthropology story because this is a unique yep. tribe that had this stick on their penis well this photo of all <laughs> the assembly that was going on and all the materials laying around had a picture of maybe 10 or 12 of these natives and the picture had a caption with the assembly going on the caption at the bottom of the picture says the erection crew and that was just <laughs> hilarious. It was, it, so I just, figured, I wish I had taken a picture of that picture. Months later or some time in the future, I, I was with a friend of mine. I says, come on down to so-and-so building. I want to show you a picture that's on the wall. It was gone. It was gone. They took it down. <laughs> Somebody complained about it probably. <laughs> yeah. that's just one of the interesting things i saw at jpl yeah so so um, you also have a group that you're part of i mean after all this i mean even a, a student of this forever i mean since you were a young teenager and you yeah. joined a group can you talk about this group that you're part of that is very serious yeah, they have really high level good people part of it Talk about, oh, yeah. share it's, with it's our very listeners, because I think people would find it. It's a world famous organization, the Society for Scientific Exploration. And it's a big organization. Like I said, it's worldwide. And the conferences they have are all over the world, all over the United States. And um, I joined that when I was uh, early 20s. Um, but uh, they had to, after a year of me paying dues and being on their list as a member, they contacted me and asked me for my PhD credentials. I don't have a PhD. And so they wrote back and said, sorry, we can't have you as a member. Years later. That's yeah, so bad. Yeah. You have five. Hold on. Hold on. I got to <laughs> say something about that. I, you have five science degrees, but they want somebody with one science degree and microscopic focus in an area. Yeah. And versus somebody who has five science degrees, that's really broad and much, I mean, I, did they wake up and see the errors of yes. their ways? What yes, happened Yes, they there? did. They opened up a, um, a subgroup that um, were associate members. So you don't have to have a credentials to be an associate member, a full member. It, it makes me shake my head because <laughs> I, if there's one area that irritates me the most, it, it lately, especially with all the, the BS that we've experienced over the last three years with COVID is for, is the illusion that somebody that gets a PhD in this microscopic focused area is somehow a better expert than somebody who is much broader and more engaged in a much more, um, oh, in a much broader real yeah. sense. 
we have uh, bastardized our education system to appreciate um, something that doesn't help us as much as it would if we started to look at things in a much broader sense. Someone like me, who's a much broader mm-hmm. thinker, much broad, I, I research like crazy in a broad perspective. That's not valued in this society, even though it's what we so desperately You're need. Right. Like you with five science degrees, they don't value the breadth of knowledge that you have. They value microscopic <laughs> focus. Well, and that's why we're a bunch of you lunatic idiots running around not understanding anything because we don't know how these walls get, you know, we throw information over the wall. Nobody has a bigger... We are people with bigger understandings, but they don't value that. And maybe that's on purpose. I don't know. It's stupid. It's idiotic. And our whole society, the whole premise of stuff is based on stupidity. But anyways, that, go ahead. (laughs) That's my view of that. So it turns out that uh, they're very broad in many of their ways. So this society has engineers and scientists that are involved in all the different technologies including the paranormal and metaphysical technologies. And as a side note, okay. um, We in metaphysics and paranormal would look at bonding as a relationship of understanding, but those scientists in the SSE and other mainstream don't recognize woo woo. But if you term it in terms of scientific terms, uh, bonding is, is, uh, entanglement and quantum entanglement is an acceptable term so now we can study it formally under the terms of quantum entanglement but not under bonding in humans so that was one of the things that we talked about at the sse yeah so the sse well i i hold on a second it makes me think of uh i had um loretta our friend Loretta on and Loretta yes. Ivory. She's a doctor. She teaches at had a university in our college in Colorado. I just talked to her yesterday and we were talking about, she does teaches a class on um, energy and uh, what is it called? Bio? I don't know what she does. Energy medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, we got into the topic that um, which she was showing me a before and after picture of how they did intentional energy on a person and how it actually cured their cancer and which is phenomenal. But I'm like, well, that's praying too. And so suddenly now there's a science intentional focused thought and energy of multiple people together. That's praying. And science can describe so much of what, you know, what they write off as just being spiritual and woo, you know, woo woo or whatever you call it. Yeah. It, Keep things going. that aren't uh, that well documented. You see, the scientists at SSC are more open minded and they'll explore and investigate any and everything. And there's consciousness as an example. Dr. Roger, um, um, I don't know. I always call him Dr. Roger Nelson. Dr. Roger Nelson has the Global Conscious Network, and it's involved in big global experiments and well documented. The SSC is he's part of the SSC Council or what they call a council is the board of directors. And there's about 12 or 15 of them. And they uh, all are involved in various aspects of paranormal and metaphysical science. Um, There's a. 
there's several doctors that are uh, famous in that realm on the society. One of them that I know, um, Dr. Uh, let's see. Um, all of a sudden, this names are dropping. Anyway, they sponsored my degree. Dr. Charles Tart, Stanley Krippner, Dr. Stanley Krippner. I met him at one of the conferences, SSE conferences, and I have a picture of him and I. But 30, 40 years earlier, he's one of the early sponsors of my degree in parapsychology. I finally got to meet him at an SSC conference. Speaking of the SSC conferences, every time they came to Boulder, I volunteered. I'm, I'm a member. I'm an associate member then. And so I always volunteered to help in the, in the SSE conferences. And I became the lead coordinator for the Boulder conferences. I helped put that on for five years. I had a staff of about 30 people and I helped coordinate all of the Colorado S at Boulder SSE conference. And uh, they kept inviting me back to help another year. <laughs> so I uh, was very involved. What are some of the most interesting things that you found from that? Because I think that one of the things that that you told me is that a lot of intelligence agencies get involved and monitor that organization because of the level no, of ex expertise of people coming together. They like to monitor and figure out what's going on. Yeah, uh, cutting edge technology. They're involved in all of the um, the paranormal normal and metaphysical and in science and healing and all of the areas of science that are pushed off to the side from mainstream. And so these folks, and there's hundreds of these scientists, uh, all work on various things that are not accepted in mainstream, like Roger Nelson with the Global Conscious Network and many others, uh, the conferences. And I guess you can look at some of the videos and, and presentations from from the past they talk about all of the health healing and metaphysical sciences as studied by serious scientists with the tools of science that are available the problem is most of the mainstream scientists don't have the tools or the information to investigate so in other words like chi prana uh, life force we know that exists Things go bump in the night, but we don't have the tools to measure it. So they dismiss it or it's easily dismissed because they can't explain it. But it's been around for a long time. I'm a student of Tai Chi and Qigong. I practice every day. I work with teachers and Qi is the life force energy that we can move and do anything. Well, science knows of it. They can't dark matter, dark energy. They don't know what it is because they don't have the tools to measure and define it. If it can't be defined, it don't exist. So the SSC right. scientists. It's, it's, it's their way of dealing with it. Yes. The SSC scientists well, okay. say, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> and what did they, and what did they find out? I mean, what are some of the interesting elements well, that they found? Because, you know, Eastern medicine and Eastern scientists, and I've had some on my show, they take this stuff seriously. And it really helped uh, change Western views of this. Yeah. So what did you find out? What did the organization find out? They investigated things like telepathy, clairvoyance, remote viewing, remote influencing, 
all of those now are starting to get mainstream attention. And so it happens, it exists, what is it? And so they can apply it in many different ways. Remote viewing is very famous now. Everyone is involved in that and it's not such woo-woo anymore, but there's still that connection between humans is still not defined in the mainstream. We can call it telepathy, but what is that? How does the mind, how does the consciousness communicate? How do we get downloads or information? That's still under investigation, but we still apply it. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP. I got, I took classes in that and certifications in that. And that is one area where they start looking at all the different body functions and how they're analyzed and how they influence each other and how they're propagated through society. So there's lots of things that are still getting uh, attention. And NASA and all of the other investigative scientists are investigating it a lot of it is classified um we communicate with ets we communicate with ai um, there are some programs that interface with computers people talk talk and think and the computer reacts so we know something is connected we're trying to find out all the details the investigations go on yeah, and on it's it's so it's that group is willing to investigate seriously things that the university systems will not investigate, which really helps humanity. So that's a great thing. What do you want to share with people as we wrap this up? What do you want people to know? Well, there's an awful lot going on behind the scenes. You've got to be open-minded and say, if it exists, people are looking into it, maybe not talking about it, maybe not writing about it but some are. And the more that information gets out there, the more interests, the more curiosity people get. And so therefore it starts to come out. And so pay attention to all the things that are going on. I've studied uh, what's referred to as occult magic. I studied with the various mystery schools, Rosicrucians, Golden Dawn and, and Freemasons, etc. There are people involved in that that are part of the government that are part of industry, high level. JPL still has, when I left there 30 years ago, they still had a, a group meeting of uh, OTO that was spun off from uh, Jack Parsons' work. And so I, I met with them a couple of times. I didn't join the group because I was traveling too much and there was meetings happening uh, where I couldn't get access to. Um, but still there was... Uh, a lot more people investigating this that are serious, that just can't talk about it, that just can't document it. But it's going on. And the more we pay attention to it, the more it starts to surface. We're opening up a lot of doors. That's right. And the more we can talk about it and it's not censored and that's it. And more and more is coming out. I think over the next you know decades here, we're going to learn so much that we never knew. We're going to start learning about our history more in a real way. I'm really right. hoping these the light shines on all this because it's the only way for us to move forward. But they're working yeah. extra hard to shut down that light. Yeah. 
there is connections we have to understand better. Uh, ETs, AI are two of the areas that are very, and they're tied together because there's a supposedly an AI in the universe that's conquering various solar systems and galaxies. And we're a target, Earth. And so there's a connection between the AI and what's going on with our ET and UFO investigations. There's a lot more going on than being talked about. And they're in secret societies. They're in secret government programs. They're classified, but they're going on. And, uh, you know, sometimes on a peripheral basis, you can see that. Yeah, you can. Now we're starting to see some peripheral things go on now. The Pentagon came out and said, well, there maybe is a mothership out in, in our solar system. And we're seeing, you know, the smaller ships come down here. That's what he would, that's what they said. The Pentagon said that. So that was just yeah. last week, I think. So now do we think that, you know, Dr. Greer, uh, Stephen Greer, I've had him on my show before. He talked about they're going to be, they're planning a fake alien invasion. This is something they've been talking about for a while. Now, mm. do you think that's going to happen? And I mean, because everything is getting so absurd. I mean, we're just, the absurdity that's being thrown at us is on, you know, on fire right now. That's and I could see them very easily doing that right now. Do you see that as, yes. and how should people react? Project Once Blue we start Beam. seeing that in the media, what should people do? Project Bluebeam. And it is a way of introducing or at least making people comfortable with that interface between humans and uh, the ETs. So we, ha we have to address it. It's happening. They've been here for thousands of years. They've helped introduce our DNA into who we are now. And so you can't ignore some of those things. But how do you uh, how do you get the information out to people? How do you wake them up to it? And they start challenging little things a little at a time, making people more comfortable with hearing it, listening to stories, watching good movies, books. And so you become more comfortable with it. And then they start introducing a little more and then a little more. And that's how they're starting to get that known in the general public. Um, there's uh <laughs> what do you think about the fake alien invasion though? I mean, cause that, that some people think the dark side, you know, the deep state and they're, they're going to use it against us. Do you think they're going to do something like that? It and could. what should people, how should people react and how should we view that? I mean, should we take that in stride and say, hey, this is just another one of their games that they're playing and don't fall to their game? Yeah. There's um, there's a series of books, two books, volume one and two, called The Voyagers by Ashiana Dean. And she got a download and information telling the whole story of who they are out there in the universe and how they are conquering various solar systems and galaxies. Now, they are focusing on this planet and they're starting to get us involved in that. They're trying to take over the planet. And there's stories about our government knowing that and starting building defenses so that we could shield ourselves from that. And or if they're infiltrating into our human being, then they're starting to take over. And some of the transhuman activities that's being talked about now are starting to be an AI. Some of that AI is micro uh, technology that those injections that people got have these minute microcomputers in the graphene oxide that's altering our being. Is that true? 
we're not investigating it openly. It's hidden. It's knowledge that it's being talked about among the classified areas and the compartmentalized areas. But it's happening and we don't know enough about it. And they certainly aren't telling the general population what they know. And speaking of that mothership. No, out they there, certainly aren't. Just a quick note. Yeah. That mothership is talked about as being thousands of miles big. So it's not a mothership like you would see like a, an aircraft carrier that carries planes on it. This is a mothership that's twice the size of Earth. <laughs> and so it's it's like, oh my gosh. like, in the, like in the Star Wars movies, you know. Well, if, if you know, if there's a mothership twice the size of Earth in our solar system, they flip and know. There's no way. So well, now, or it could be has that been identified? It could be cloaked. Oh, it could be cloaked. Again, talk about true. frequency and vibration. They can set up a cloaking. That's right. That, that shields it from being observed with the current tools we have to look at it. So they, if they've been around for thousands or maybe millions of years in the galaxy conquering uh, solar systems, etc., they're pretty smart. They know a lot of stuff. And they can shield something that big cover it up they, they that's right you've but heard we of, would be able to find it but we'd be able to even if they cloaked it so we couldn't see it we'd be able to see it with instrumentation of other types like the you know gravity we should be able to that would affect gravity pull of other planets and things that would affect how the solar system is operating they can they can disturb our current environment to the point where something's there. In other words, you may not be able to see something that's traveling in the ocean, but you could see the waves move. You can see the molecules of, of water that's being right. disturbed and you know something is there. You can't tell exactly. And again, they can cover it up with a whole lot of their technology. And some of the good ETs that have been helping us and working with us are sharing a lot of that technology. Again, Tesla downloaded a lot of it. A lot of other engineers, Max, I'm sure, downloads a lot of technology and information because I share a lot of it with him. We talk. We have a mind meld. <laughs> and so there's lots of people who are getting downloads and sharing that information or applying it. Good stuff. So it is good stuff if we can use it for the betterment of humanity instead of some of this nonsense that we're seeing going on. Yeah, and so beds. it's obvious that we're in a war. Med beds, yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking into that. I'm being careful with that to make sure that there we look at the legit stuff. But there's some uh, information out there that somebody grew back a dog's leg, and so yeah. I want to find out if that's legit or not, and what's mm -hmm. going on. That's what another thing I'm working with Dr. Ivory on is uh, right. is whether Loretta is yeah, okay. Loretta is a very close friend of legit mine. or not, and so she's. I've yeah, known she's Loretta great. for thirty so she, plus and she's years. She's very interested in it. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's uh, great. Very and close so she's friend of mine. Checking, she's very, she's very interested in this because if this yeah. is, could be something that could really, really help a lot of people if it's legit. Now, I see it as you know what what Sherry Edwards is, was doing. You know, all of her frequency work and you know some of this quantum energy. I I see that 
the med beds as just a continuation of that whole field of, of work. So I, I think what we need is a massive amounts of people getting into that scientist, taking it seriously and figuring that line of work out, because that's what the extrapolation of that work gets to these med bed types technology, even if that's not legit and we're going to look into it, we can get there through this other, through the research. Yes. It's functional technology that we could use medically. And that's important. And they're finding out if they're going to be that's using it, they're going to be using it with super soldiers and some of the secret programs that they've been working on to heal soldiers and to others in the field. Well, eventually, a lot of that military technology filters back down into the commercial technology, and that's where the companies look to make money, and that's where they exploit a technology like that. But right now, in Arizona, that med bed, or at least one of the med beds in Arizona, is at a, a research center in a hospital where they've uh, grew the third or the fourth leg of it for a dog. Now, that's just a story that I know. And, and maybe written about it, maybe it's podcast somewhere by someone, but it's not in the mainstream. And the mainstream is where everybody focuses to see what's going on. If it's not there, it doesn't exist. So that's where well, that the mainstream, we know. Yeah. But they've been making so much stuff up in the last couple of years. People need to wake up. I mean, it's like, come on. Can't you tell they're lying to you for, I mean, we, we got to wake up, people. I'm like, I just, if the last three years didn't wake you up, I guess your doc, nothing will. Well, there's a lot of fraud, too. And there's a lot of things that are discredited because they are fraudulent. And people are confused by what's right and what's not, you know? Well, that's true. And and a lot of the stuff in the a lot of stuff in the that's not in the mainstream yes. is fraudulent. You know, it, it's you everywhere. Be very careful. It's everywhere. The corruption that's is right. And both. Yeah. It's everywhere. So it's it's, everywhere. it becomes now a matter of discernment. Okay. So how could people A matter of discernment? How to the more you right. know the better your decisions. That's right. So it's that discernment. The more you know, the better your discernment is. And then of course. I like, I'm a hands-on guy. So I want to see the results. I want to see it. I want something tangible that I can understand. And I can take that leap into something esoteric easily because I have a background in understanding that something goes bump in the night and we know it. That's what makes you so fascinating. The fact that you have such a breadth of knowledge, plus you're interested in all these other topics that aren't mainstream. You are one of the most fascinating people to talk to. So I just appreciate you and everything that you're doing. I know that you're just, you're, you're trying to get as much knowledge. You're not into status. You're into knowledge. Oh, and that's why I, I love it's so much fun to you. It's not about status for you. It's, it's obvious three or five degrees. It's all about yeah, knowledge. And information. Uh, one of the early colleges I went to was a hands-on mechanical engineering. We studied in the academic area. We designed something in, in the in the classroom. Then we went into the lab and built it. And that got me on the path of understanding both sides, the practical, tangible things, and the applying of That's it. That's right. And so I built my knowledge around it. I, I love diversity, and I've been involved in you know, something funny. I, my favorite meals are all stew and uh, like mixtures of foods. I don't like a hamburger 
French fries, a salad. I, I'd rather have everything in one pot and make it need it. <laughs> just, it's just one of my funny little. Well, I guess that fits your personality. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where can people follow you? You work with C60, don't you? And obviously that's one of the things you do. Can you talk about the benefits of C60? We can't not talk about that. Oh, before we C6, I take it every day and have been since we made it. I think we started like eight or nine years ago. And um, I, yes, I take it every day. You guys were the first, the first, yeah, probably the first. Yeah. But you were the first to create it for humans. And then you also are the first, I mean, you're the first on so many levels with this. People have no idea. You're also the first on purifying it without yeah. solvents so that people aren't getting any of that, you know, and that's what Dr. Joe always talks about. You want C60 is not C6. I mean, C all C60s are not the same. And you guys have purified it for human yeah. use. You're one of the few in the world that purify it without yeah. solvents. And then you also do some interesting stuff with uh, quantum energy and infuse it with vitamins and minerals. You do all sorts of stuff that people don't quite realize how advanced your C60 is. Well, it started, I guess, we we all worked, We I'll mention the people, we worked together as a, as a company called Colorado Energy Research Technologies, CERT, back 15 years ago. Me, Max, Ken, Dr. Joe Newsma was our CEO. And we all knew each other and worked together at this company. And then spin off a little bit here and there. I I got involved further with Max at the, at the lab down in uh, Buena Vista. And Ken came down and worked with us a bit and learned about it and, and spun off his own company. And Joe Newsma obviously is involved in our because of his background in tech in toxicology. So at least the four of us were good friends. And then L Loretta joined our group and a couple of others. Um, and so we were working on a lot of different things. Um, I don't know if I should bring out maybe in the next time we, you and I talk with Max together, he'll talk about his current, um, his current project. I'm going to be going down there to work with him. Oh, we're going to be talking about that. We're working on it. We we talked about it a year and a half ago, and I have been pushing him so hard, and we've had a lot of private conversations. He had a lot of issues with it, a lot of distributor problems, and yep. um, he's going to come out. We're going to talk about it on the show. Yep. Eventually I, I here, I, I we're working hard at it, and it'll help humanity. Yeah. It's going to help humanity a lot. a couple of days ago. Um, yesterday, I think, or day before yesterday. Anyway, he just acquired some new equipment. He went down to Texas to pick it up and he was on his way back when we were talking. And um, it's pretty exciting. There's a lot more going on with Max at the lab. I haven't been going down there during the winter. Uh, we caught up in our inventory. So we've been able to meet all of our sales requirements. And so, um, but now it's getting closer to warmer weather and springtime. And I'm going to be heading down the lab and continuing to work with more of that. So I'm looking forward to that too. During my downtime. During, yeah. Well, you guys are great. You guys. Yeah. During my down. Well, okay. So uh, what, what is your last thing that you want to say to people and we'll wrap this up. Oh, Keep your mind open and aware of things and be open to it because 
there's some things that are going on that are starting to come into us in this time we're calling the quickening. And so, you know, you don't have to analyze everything. You don't have to question it all. Just be open to it and see how things unfold and things will start to match up and things will start to fall into place. And then you can put two and two together. The puzzle is big. But the pieces are well known and understood. We just have to get them to fit together. So be open to that. Things are changing. That's right. Quickly. We have more learning. We have some. We have some more learning to do. Oh, we, have, we have a lot more learning to do, and and I think there's going to be some more disclosures. That's a learning. It's going to be an exciting time as long as we can keep this communication open. I, that's my goal right now is keep this communication open so that we can flourish. Yeah. We, we, there's so much we could flourish over so much good stuff coming, but we got to keep this communication open. Yes. So thank you so much. I just love talking to you and you're a blessing and and thank you. And so are you, you're very involved, involved in a lot of diverse areas as well. And I admire a lot about you, uh, admire you a lot with all you're doing. I follow everything you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. 